Welcome back to Red Blooded Outdoors, y'all. Cooney, you remember when we first decided we was going to do a podcast? Yeah. And we said we was going to do it about the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what your little knothead self said? No, I don't. We got to make sure we get a game warden on there. I, I do. Yeah, I did say that. But what you didn't say... It was we was gonna get a game warden that was gonna cook us some jambalaya. No, and he did some some good jambalaya. Garrett Paulnell. Did I say your last name right? Yeah, you did. You did. We have Mister Garrett with us. Who is? Do you rather be called a conservation officer or a game warden? Game warden. Game warden. For the Georgia DNR. What's up? What's happening? <laughs> I'm Not, excited to be here for sure. That's good, man. Uh, so yeah, we come out to see Mr. Garrett. The last time I seen Garrett was probably three years ago. Three years ago on the Paulden Forest. How how long have you been a game warden? Almost four. So it's probably about two two and a half years ago. Yeah, almost, almost. So we was out there coon hunting. And uh, we come around the corner, and Garrett was sitting there with his lights out and stopped us and uh, <laughs> checked our license. And I remember that was the talk amongst our circle for two or three days. Can you believe he checked us and he knowed us? <laughs> now, as a former law enforcement officer, I completely understand but at the time, I found myself not being a law enforcement officer, and I fell right into that same boat. And that wasn't right, Cooney. That, was, that wasn't right for me to be upset at Garrett for doing his job. And I don't know if that ever got back to you or whatever. Oh, yeah, I heard. Did you? Yeah, and I, and I knew, um, <clears throat> yeah, and, you know, Dad had told me, you worked with my dad, obviously, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I worked with Garrett's dad, Vance. Yeah. Yeah, so he had told me, and I said, and it's nothing personal. He knows yeah. that. And I said, uh, too, I think one thing that most people, because this probably came along after you got done policing is, uh, you know, these body cameras. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're rolling. So, you know, yeah. it's not only is the public watching me and this and that make sure i don't infringe on rights or you know whatever else but my yeah. supervisor watches that and he's gonna say well you know because that's a big thing when when you get assigned a county and uh when you get hired on with us to become a game warden they don't like to send you to your home county you know because you know everybody right right and, and that's the one thing they're really worried about is and are you just gonna let everything go right you know, because you know so-and-so or yeah you know so-and-so's daddy or what you know whatever the case is and so it's nothing personal yeah. half, the, half the time when i know people like y'all and most people i check are people like y'all you know i know you're gonna have your license it's, yeah it's just a you're working man that's it you're yeah, doing your part job. Of the job yeah so Kenny, when somebody you know is doing their job don't be a knothead like no, me like me and get upset I never get upset. <laughs> yeah, no, you get upset on a regular basis. No. Yeah, you Not do. Not me. You do. So, Garrett, four years, four years as being a game warden. What led you 
to be a game warden? Is it something you wanted to always do? Because I'll tell you, I don't think Cooney ever did. But every other kid that I've hunted around as they was growing up, being in the outdoors on a regular basis, hunting and fishing, that is their dream job. I want to be a game warden. Mm-hmm. I want to be a game warden. What what led you? I, di- I didn't have that as a kid saying, you know, I didn't always want to be a game warden. But when I got into hunting and fishing kind of later in life, you know, I always kind of fished, but I really got into hunting, you know, in middle school, high school. And so I was taking trips. And the first time I met a game warden, I think I was 16 years old. And I just remember thinking, I can't believe he's getting paid right now. You know, I, I'm kind of on my weekend vacation out here hunting, and he's just sitting right here with me. You right. know, just we're just kind of shooting the breeze. And I was thinking, if there's a job to have, that's probably the one right there. Right, so. absolutely. So, so when you decided to be a game warden, was it right out of school? I mean, what was it? Um, well, really, I kind of I I wanted to do it. But I had always heard the uh, job outlook was so bad. You know, there's only so many of us in the state. And I kind of, realism sat in and I thought, what are the odds that I really would be able to do it? So right after high school, I went to EMT school. I was going to be a firefighter. You know, my dad was a firefighter for a little bit. And, um, you know, through a year of training of that, I decided, you know, now's not the time for me to do that went to work full-time long story short i did a several different things and decided you know what if i'm gonna do this game warden thing i'm gonna do it right now while i'm young i'm gonna dedicate everything i have to it so i went back to college in 2013 i got a degree in criminal justice uh, from kennesaw state university and while i was there i interned with dnr so kind of the whole time I was in college, that's what I had my eyes set on. And then right after my internship and graduation, I was just fortunate enough to right place, right time, get a job right then. What was that internship like? It was kind of different than what my everyday job is now because um, I interned on Lake Altoona. And the reason they do that is as a game warden, I go a lot of places on private property that you know everyday citizen you can't go as an intern right so lake altoona everywhere is public so they normally have one intern per summer you get out there and you basically ride on a boat friday night we start normally friday at two o'clock and you just go till whenever two three in the morning you do that friday saturday sunday and i did that all summer right so are you actually riding with other game wardens Mm -hmm. But but you have no arrest powers or right. nothing like that. Yeah, I'm wearing plain clothes. Right. You know, I'm wearing the big old bulky life jacket. Right. They're wearing the cool ones and I'm looking all lame and whatever. <laughs> but you know, there. You know, I remember stopping boats and you know everybody in the other boats. They're half the time they're drunk and they're just saying, you know, who who's the kid in the life jacket? What's he doing? Is he arrested or what? You know, I was right. looking like they right. had arrested me riding around on the boat. Well, did that internship did it did it fuel you even more to to stay dedicated, or, or was your mindset just already locked in? I'm doing this, 
And regardless of how anything on that internship went, did it fuel you or did you step back a little bit? Or uh, Yeah, to be completely honest, before I started the internship, I, like I was pretty sold, but I was a little reserved. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what in any job what they really do every single day. And so I was just sitting there thinking, you know, I'm going to do this summer and I'm going to see it through no matter what. But if I like it, I'll go for it. And if I don't, you know, we'll back up and punt, try something else. Right. So was it, I mean, when you talk about a ride along with a police officer, was it, was that essentially it? Or did you have some actual task that they would give you to do on the boat? Well, because we were just on the boat, there wasn't much to do other than hey hold the dock or right. hold this boat while we're pulled up to it now what one thing they did check me off on you know how many questions are you asking are you sitting over there like can't wait to go home or are you interested in what we're doing uh a lot of times when you know if we did lock up a drunk or something bui on the lake you know they're they're doing their paperwork they want me to handle stuff with the boat hey can you tie us off hey can you get this hey can you do that and it's more or less just being there, you know, being present, not sitting there watching the clock saying, right. when's it going to go home? Because, you know, as an intern, you're there for free. Right. So it really is, you know, how dedicated are you to this? Right. You know, and they can tell because even since I've been hired on, they've had other interns show up and I hear them talk, you know, you know, he's not worth the salt or he don't really want to be here or whatever and sure enough those guys they don't right. really get a job so there there is criteria during that internship that that's going to help determine whether you're mm-hmm. able to go forward or not that's right Coney, hmm. what do you think it's interesting i didn't know <clears throat> i didn't know you got the people got to ride along on a boat with game it, wards is, that, is that customary for everybody that may go into it Mm-mm. like new with no law enforcement experience or was that something directly through the college yeah you have to be enrolled in college you know and um so and also there's only typically one to two internships per summer in the area that you want to work so i'm in region one which is all of northwest georgia so there's only one intern per summer per right so yeah, the opportunities are few and far between, really, with the internship. So I just got really lucky. Right. So you get through with college, you get through with the internship. What's the What was the next step in the process? It kind of went really fast because, you know, I had just done four years of college, and I was thinking, man, I, I kind of need a break or whatever. But um, I think I had already applied. I know, yeah, I had already applied before I actually graduated. And then so I graduated, and it was right into, um, you know, we had to do a polygraph, and then we had to do, you know, your drug tests and your physicals, and um, I ended up having to get LASIK eye surgery because my, you know, my eyesight was not good enough. And so that ended up being six months worth of, hey, show up here and do this, you know, hey, show up to the jail, get fingerprinted, and all that kind of thing. So I graduated in July. And I started my job uh, January 1. Right. So it was just six months of just jumping through hoops to start. So it's pretty much the um, almost, is it to the T, the same standard as what it takes to get hired by GSP? 
because you was talking about the eye surgery and the I, standards about the same right gsp they have so many troopers compared to us that they do i think probably three to five trooper schools a right. year we'll do one academy every year right so and it's always going to start in january there's when i was at uh gypstick the public mm-hmm. safety training center um there was probably two or three different trooper schools going through while i was there so. right so <clears throat> when when you went to gypstick you had, you had went through that whole process which that's a that's a daunting process i mean i myself have never done it but i've talked to a lot of troopers it's just like he said on and did y'all do y'all have to do the physical aspect that the the troopers do as well yeah i don't want to um you know troopers will probably sit there and say you know nothing measures up to their standard right and we probably didn't quite get there but yeah us and the troopers and um you know mccd it's it's you get there day one and you're just getting it handed to you pretty much that's day one at the academy that's right right off the bat i mean they come out there hollering and screaming like they do the troopers that's right because I've, I've been down there at Gypstick and seen those brand-new recruits arrive at Gypstick, and you would think you was at Paris Island, the way them guys come out there and, I mean, get on them. I seen them, one guy, I seen he had some stickers on the back, back window of his car, and they made him pull them stickers off the window, said he was breaking the law. I mean, it was it was legit, son. Well, what, what about the – during the hiring process, the same number of running the mile in a certain time, the push-ups, the sit-ups? Our, I think ours is a little different. It's probably close to the same, but we did, we had a trail run, too, when I was in there. Uh, yeah, you had to run a mile in a certain time, and then we had the trail run in a certain time, and then it was just basically push-ups, sit-ups, right. stuff like that. Well, one thing y'all got on the troopers, though, is y'all have to have at least a two-year degree, right? That's right. The troopers don't. No. Which, which I think, didn't y'all just change here recently? If you had military service, you mm-hmm. could uh, not have to have the degree. That's right. And they're looking at doing, if you've got so many years on with a certain law enforcement agency, consecutive years, um, you can also that'll also be in lieu of a degree. Okay. So, you know, we're trying to get the best candidates mm-hmm. and – somebody who went through four years of college but has no experience is not always the best candidate sometimes they are but they're not always the best candidate and you know that police experience you know it's invaluable right. you could right. you could take that anywhere right so, so day one gypstick and that's the georgia public safety training center kind you remember going down 75 i remember when we passed and, by there and see the big old water tank mm-hmm. That says gypstick on it. That's what that place is. Police from all over the state. There's even surrounding states. Mm -hmm. They come there to get trained. Uh, That's where all the state agency academies are. DNR, GBI, GSP. Are there any others that go there? MCCD. Yeah, MCCD. What is is that MCCD? Motor Carrier Compliance Division. They're... uh, pull over the big trucks and make sure they're you know up to date on their regulations okay. and all that kind of stuff yeah, i ain't, I ain't yeah. never heard of that yeah, yeah. <laughs> be one of those and pull over somebody you know yeah, <laughs> yeah really <laughs> <laughs> that it, they everybody calls them like the slang word is the dot 
yeah. is what is what yeah. they're called. You know, and they run the scale, the scales on the sides of the interstates. Yeah. Okay. That's what they do. Hmm. But uh, so you show up at D- Gypstick. What do the uh, training officers dress like for the DNR? I don't think I've ever seen a pit. They, uh, the, you know, drill instructors or whatever you want to call them, they were pretty much just out there in, you know, the green pants that okay. we wear and just a black shirt. Okay. Right. And they were, you know, they would get in there with us for PT or whatever, so they were dressed right. pretty comfortably. They weren't, you know, in dress, you know, dress blues or dress greens or whatever. Right. You know, they were... They were out there with us, but you know it was. I remember you just you show up, and as soon as you report to the classroom, somebody's hollering at you in the classroom to run over here, and then as soon as you get over there, somebody's in your face doing that, and and then next thing you know it, it's July, and your hands are on the asphalt, and you're just doing push-ups until, right. <laughs> until you lose count. So, so it it stayed that paramilitary, just like trooper school. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all walked to the table for lunch. You stayed mm-hmm. stood up till everybody was ready to eat. When everybody was done, everybody stood up at the same time. Yeah, we did the marching and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. What 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 is your thoughts on that? Um, I enjoyed it. I right. think it gave me a lot of structure. Now, looking back, I can say I enjoyed it. You know, obviously at the time I was just I'd rather just walk up to the lunch line and just get my food like everybody else. Right. You know, but the things that it teaches you, you know, the discipline and, you know, attention to detail, that stuff is true and it really does stick with you. So looking back, I'd say, you know, it was really important and I did enjoy it. Um, but, and it is just something to say, you know, when it's all said and done, like, I can't believe I accomplished that, you know, right. and it's also when you get in the field with the rest of the game wardens, it just kind of adds to that brotherhood. You right. know that, the man sitting next to you went through the same thing that you went through. Yeah, the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. So how long was the the academy? Did so, they call it warden school? What I mean, what did they call we it? We call it the academy. Okay. And mine was uh, 26 weeks. So I did, um, <clears throat> I did 11 weeks of police academy just like you went through right. to get mandated. And then we did 15 weeks of just game warden stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... When you was down there, you had the EVOC. That's the emergency vehicle obstacle course. Mm-hmm. Did you do it in the pickup truck? Well, I did it in Mandate. I did it in the Crown Vicks, and then I did it in the pickup truck. And, right. Uh, when we did it in the pickup trucks, you know, on, on those Fords, they have the plastic little hubcaps that cover mm-hmm. up the lug nuts and stuff. Yeah. We melted those right off. Really? I, I, they were just flying everywhere off the trucks because the brakes got so hot. They just really? melted off and hubcaps flying everywhere. So so you did the exact same course. So you did the cone obstacle course mm-hmm. that you have to I, – I can't remember the times, but you can't complete it too fast and you can't complete it too slow. There's a time in the middle, Cooney, that why, you, you why have to – Why can't you complete it too fast? I, see, they changed that with us. They pretty much said, you know, just as get fast it done. As you really? Go, yeah. Okay. So. But with the truck, we did it in the Crown Vicks, and we did the same exact course in the trucks. They just had to, uh, you know, on the figure eight, they had to push the cones back a little, little bit further because I mean the trucks just they wouldn't fit. Right. So, but other than that, the same exact. Course. And then the the skid course, mm-hmm. where they they got water jets that shoot up through the asphalt. 
and I, I think well you get up to 45 yeah something like that and uh you have an instructor that rides in there and breaks they're able to break some of the wheels mm-hmm. some of the tires and you're having you, to keep control of the car yeah yeah you have to keep it from spinning out skidding out and then then you got the braking course uh i don't know if that's the actual name for it but that that was my favorite when i went down there i can't remember the instructor's name so we went down there i think ebok for my academy i think was three days so you you went down there they went over the instruction you know the classroom Mm -hmm. then they showed you the course broke down what she's going to do then day two was pretty much practice on all the courses Mm -hmm. and then day three yeah you got down to business Mm -hmm. and the breaking one i don't remember all the detail cooney but you had a straightaway and you had to get up is it 35 or 45? I, th- I think during practice you start at 35, but I think during checkoffs you go up to 45, I think. And my dumb tail, my glasses, because I was still working at the BLD when I went to, to the police academy, I didn't have many new glasses. And you know how scratched up my glasses get from that concrete dust? Yeah. Believe it or not, I couldn't see that... Uh, that airboard they had down there that told me my speed and the Crown Vic I was in, the speedometer didn't mm-hmm. work. And uh, so I took off. And uh, that instructor that we had a radio, I think it was in the headset of the helmet, if I'm not wrong. But anyhow, we had a radio. And I took off, and I got that Crown Vic up to about 55, and he was coming unglued <laughs> in my head. And I come in there and got that what you do is you do a real quick left turn you you get on the brakes and you straighten that thing out and it has to sit right under in the in the parking spot that's how it goes right Mm -hmm. so real quick left then a right as you're on the brakes hard and he was hollering and cussing and pitching a fit when i come to a stop and i didn't hit the cone he said, I don't know how in the world you blah, 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 beep, 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 mm. did that, but don't you ever beep, 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 do that on my course again. <laughs> and that, when we got back to the room, we did push-ups for I don't know how long, man, because I did that, but I couldn't see the dang board. The next, Luckily, the next day I got in one, the speedometer worked on mm. But those Crown Vicks, they're old gsp cars and stuff i mean them things are beat the far mm-hmm. son but he bought that that was my funnest one was the braking one was the was the criteria the same for the truck for the braking yeah it was about the same i don't think we had to go i don't remember if we went quite as fast in the crown vix or not because the trucks we were driving were our patrol vehicles so like it was going to be your personal it one it's going to be okay. your truck in the field so they weren't trying to tear them up right but i remember i had a a couple of drill instructors that were marines like you mentioned paris island and we had one and we were going way too fast through the cone course and and we just lost control and me we were riding you know you would drive once and then you'd ride with a buddy right. and we just completely you know the the car went completely sideways and we slid through probably 20 30 cones and messed right. up the entire course and here comes that drill instructor and i thought he was just gonna lay into us and he ended up leaning into the window and was just like 
well, next time you start that turn a little earlier, you make it. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, they wanted to see us push the cars to the limit for right. sure. They uh, so now did y'all have any ATV? Yeah, courses. There was a certain amount of time, real quick, before I forget that you couldn't even come home, right? So the troopers they stay there. I think for the first month, it's either two weeks or a month. They don't come home, and then they come home on the weekends. With us, we come home Friday afternoon and you okay. report back like Sunday at like five or something. Okay. But yeah, and the troopers, I think they, uh, you know, they don't have their phones the whole time. Now, I think we didn't really have our phones. You really couldn't have used them the whole first week because the first week's just pretty much around the clock. You know, you lay right. down and you might close your eyes for two hours and they're in there waking you up and you're back at it. But uh, but I, it, it does mellow out because there's a certain amount of mental focus you do have to have to retain some of the stuff that you're sitting in the classroom learning. Um, but there was a lot of times about, you know, standing up in the back of the classroom because right. if I was sitting down, I was just going to fall right asleep. Right. Do you do you think the amount of time that you was there? Do you feel that it was enough time? I feel like there's no amount of time that could be enough time, right? Because you can only learn so much in the classroom, right? And like I told you, this and you know law enforcement experience and just being out in the field and seeing stuff and you know that experience is invaluable, and you can't you can't do that in a training environment right you know you can act it out as close as you want but at the end of the day it's not you you know at 1 a.m by yourself on a dirt road with three guys that you have no idea you know what they're thinking or what they're about to do right that's that's one thing i noticed is about them when i got out of the police academy and finished my fto my field training Every police officer I come in contact with when I was new told me, if you hear a state trooper asking for backup, uh, other than if, you know, he's yelling or whatever, they they say, you just about run code to get there. Because I was always told those state guys did not call for backup unless the you-know-what's about to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And running code come these blue lights, you know what I mean? And it was very, very rare over the time I was policing that, I mean, there was a handful of times they would call for backup if GSP, if they had, you know, multiple people and they was going to search a car or Mm -hmm. something like that. But it was very, very rare. So y'all as game wardens, most of the time, y'all are by yourself. Yeah, it's just not really... You know, I I understand that that y'all aren't aren't positioned out of a department building Mm -hmm. or an office, right? Mm -hmm. What about that training do y'all think you get? Since you've been in it four years, I'm sure you've dealt with other agencies. Mm -hmm. What about that training you think that y'all get that makes y'all... I'm not saying that y'all are too macho for back up so i'm not trying to say that that y'all are just that secure in Mm -hmm. doing what you're doing by yourself you see what do you get what i'm saying and i'm not saying other police officers aren't Mm -hmm. but that's just one thing i noticed right and i was going to bring that up when you mentioned that scenario it it's like you said it's not that 
any of us are more macho because a guy with 20 years experience i mean he's you know I, i'd work with him yeah. any day it's got to be the, something in the training the difference is is you know i us and the troopers you expect to be by yourself every day so if there's something that you do call for backup it's saying hey i sure enough can't handle this by myself right. because even you know in another agency maybe you are you're in a patrol vehicle by yourself but you can see on the cad you know that somebody's right down the road from you right and typically if nobody's doing nothing you just work together well in our line of work that's just not really an option right. so with the training i think it's not necessarily you do learn specific skills that help you survive basically right. if you were to you know crap it's a fan and you're by yourself but it's that every single thing that we do revolves around the fact that backup is not close you know right. the next guy coming to save your life is half an hour away right so every single detail in our training revolves around that it's right. always in the back of your mind you know you know you, you maybe you shouldn't do this or maybe you look at it this way or maybe you do this instead of that because you just got to remember if something bad happens here stuff goes sideways you know you're fighting for your life literally for probably 30 45 minutes if they can find where you're at because <clears throat> you may find my truck but especially you know if you're in a fight you know or some sort of you know you can only if i'm half a mile in the woods i'm going to explain to you uh, so well how to get to me right you know if if we're talking on the phone that's another story but if I'm in a fight and I'm hollering over the radio trying to tell you how to get to me and I'm a half mile from my truck, you may or may not ever get there. Right. So. Just think about it, Cooney. Being down in the Okefenokee Swamp by yourself, waiting on somebody that's been poaching deer. Think about that. Yeah. Think, think about being in Cahutta. You've been up to Cahutta with me hunting. Yeah. Being three or four miles back in one of them trails to try to catch somebody that's out there baiting corn for whatever, deer, pigs, hogs, whatever they're doing by yourself. They ain't even no cell phone service in Cahutta. No, it'd be creepy, that's for sure. By yourself. It's a teetotal different mindset. I get what you're saying because you've been, I mean, you already know from the beginning that backup, if it's coming, is a long ways away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I was policing, you know, there were supposed to be three, but there was always two in the city. So we knew we had the one, but we also had the county, mm -hmm. Paulden County. And there's they're always shorthanded, too, but there's, you know, 12, 13, 14 of them. Mm -hmm. Plus, we had the option. A GSP as well. That's one thing about GSP too, though. If you got in a chase, you might not see a trooper for three weeks. But if you got in a chase, <laughs> he's right around the corner. <laughs> that trooper was going to show up, son, and show out. Them jokers can drive. Do y'all go through the same? No, well, they do, they do the high speed course, and we don't do that on the trucks. And I was going to mention too another thing um, that helps. You know, being by ourselves is, you know, as as a. Um, you know, a street officer, you're you're responding to stuff. People are calling you saying, Hey, nine one one, you know, this is what's happening and, and you show up and you're kinda of thrown to the wolves. 
and you're more reactive. It, right. It, and it's not you as an officer. It's just that's the nature of it. Right. But with us, a lot of it is, you know, you, you go out there and get it. You find what's going on. And so a lot of times the one thing I have on my side that you don't is, you know, the element of surprise. Right. I know you, you may be hunting this one spot for, you know, eight weeks into the season and, you know, but – I, I've been watching you or whatever or, you know I know you're here or I know this is when you come hunt or I know this and so there's a lot of stuff that I get to do on my end and it's not you know it, it is so I can you know catch people but two it's officer safety right. you know, I, I want to know what kind of gun are you taking in the woods well you do take a gun or do you take a bow you know what what type of vehicle do you drive where do you park how long is your walk to your stand all those kind of things I know going into it and then when i finally do show up you know there's there's that element of you know you're seeing me for the first time but i kind of know everything that's laid out in front of me and that's that's huge for us to make sure that you know we go home at the end of the day right right so through the academy you get out you go through your training is that mindset still there that this is what i'm going to do has everything up to that point been what you expected? Was the momentum still there? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, when you get out, you know, you're just you're. I mean, you're ready to hit the road. You right. know, boots on the ground, and yeah, there's. And plus, I mean, you know, you're just ready to get out of Jipstick. You've been right. living there for over half a year. You know, that I, that place is drab too. Oh did, yeah. Did y'all have TVs in the room? We had TVs. I think they had three channels so we watched like a lot of judge judy in the mornings <laughs> i mean it was uh they, they were pointless and we right. lived you know how small the rooms are right. basically they may be like a 10 by 15 size room right. we had three people in there wow three of us so the beds were it might as well have been one one big bed with a right. foot gap in between them and right. and you slept there every night and you woke up at four fifteen and go pt and eat breakfast and it's all a routine <clears throat> well there even in the room cooney there's strict even if you if you're not uh, in an academy for the state there's strict guidelines on things you can and cannot leave out mm-hmm. because there's a prison there what's the name of that prison i don't know but but they have inmates come and clean and wash the laundry and all that and so clean the rooms and everything else so you can imagine if you leave the wrong thing out yeah what's going to happen you know so you got you got this humongous how many rooms is it gypstick i can't remember there's three two or three different buildings with at least i'd right. say 40 to 50 rooms a piece right. and you got police officers from all over the place coming to stay at this place and get trained and all the police officers has got guns mm. and, and knives and so it's really really strict on what you can do in that room and what you can't do in that room and i'm sure it's even stricter on the cadets that are staying oh, yeah. there yeah yeah because so, part of it's they just want to you know somebody's gonna mess up even if it's something small so they're just looking for something to to gig you on and make right. you run for so yeah right all right, so now, you, now you're out, you're, uh, you're done with your training. So now we're really, first day, first night by, 
ourself. I remember when it was the first time by myself policing. Um, I felt like an owl. You know how an owl turns his head, mm-hmm. can turn it almost all the way around? You know, I'm I'm Batman. I'm just looking for what's up. You know, what's <laughs> what's going down? Do you did four years ago? Do you remember that first day by yourself? I remember that first month really because it all blended together, man. When as soon as I got off, because we did six more months of field training. So after I had a whole year of just training, right? And then after that first year, I just remember that first month. It was all a blur because it. I was hardly home. It was just. It was work, sleep, work, right. and, and it wasn't like you know they were making me go to work or this and that. It was just you know trying to catch people, ha- enjoying the job, right. you know, and and just being out when people were out. Right. So yeah, I know that when when I first got out of my training, man, I just and it was probably overindulgence about with me doing it, but I just constantly wanted to do it, and it wasn't an ego thing, like you said. There's no amount of time. To learn all this stuff mm-hmm. that is too big, and you you're just like a sponge, you know. Well, if I do this, then I learn this. If I do this, I learn this, and you just you just want to keep on going, keep on going. And it wasn't about writing the most tickets or anything mm-hmm. like that. But to me, it was more like interacting with people and, and and learning and other officers and stuff like that. So, is it not rare? To sort of get the district you live in you talked about you know you know one reason they don't want you to be is because that's where all your buddies and people you know so is that something you tried to get or you just happened up on it or how how does that process go i got so the process goes when you when you're in the interview process they put a state of georgia up there on the table and you you write one two three and that's your priorities of where you want to go and you know i don't know but they might as well just crumple it up and throw it in the trash can because they're pretty much going to send you where where they where they think you're going to fit right and i got fortunate because fulton county is like a result that's where atlanta is obviously and there's a revolving door of game wardens that come in and out but it's always a priority that a game warden is there so they always fill it and so i was assigned to fulton county and that was in the same work section of six counties as my home county paulding right so i was assigned to fulton that wasn't where i wanted to be but i was already working with the guys in the area that i wanted to be so as soon as a position came open in carroll county I was able to just lateral right. over there, right, Fulton. So I got really lucky. And for anybody that's listening and don't know, Fulton County is the county that the majority or the heart of Atlanta is in. That's right. Is it, so there, there's really only a small section of that county, if you could even call that rule, and that's South Fulton. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. I mean, what was that like? I mean, you're you're. Nobody thinks of a game warden working right. in in a you know a, a metropolis. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say, even to this day, probably most of the interactions and activity that I've gotten is from Fulton County, and right. I think it's just a a probability, a numbers game, just the fact of there's so many people there, you're you're bound right. to run up on somebody doing something all the time. Right, they're always there, so. 
whether and you know Fulton County has a huge stretch of the river too, the Chattahoochee River. So you have that, and then you have the rural, you know, South Fulton, right. and then you got all this urban bow hunting stuff, and right. a lot of hunting without permission, people slipping onto other people's half an acre to shoot a giant deer, and right. so there's a lot of stuff happening. But it, it's a totally different world of game warden. Right. So so you, how how long did was that actually your county there? probably one year one so, year okay yeah, i got really lucky but when when i transferred out it was still in my work section so i still had to even though i went to carroll i still had to answer all the calls from fulton right and i still had to you know check on the county all the time so i was right. working i still work over there at least once or twice a week right mm-hmm. okay so that, that then you move back to a more rule setting mm-hmm. so the i guess the number of people you're coming in contact with lessened because you said you was talking with a lot of people in fulton that's right but as far as the the crime itself was it pretty much the same it it may i'd say no more people in fulton are violating the law and and carol it's just uh you know, you're going to be pretty hard-pressed. You might write one, I might write one hunting license ticket, but it might right. be just a really good ticket for me because I'm. there's no telling how many hours I've driven or miles I've walked to find that one person who is, you know, specifically trying to violate the law. Right. So, yeah, I'd say the tickets are definitely fewer and farther between. Um, even just talking to people, interacting with people, you know, you really got to try to to find people sometimes. So, right. um, I enjoy that. I I really enjoy. You know, it's not always like you said about writing tickets or writing warnings. It's just interacting with people. Right. And I love just when you know it's four thirty in the morning and somebody's getting into their duck blind and you know they're not expecting to see me at work. And, right. and I check them right there or I'm out in the woods with them and they're like I didn't ex- you know it's 20 something degrees and it's 4.30 in the morning like right. I didn't think I was going to see you and I, I just enjoy that I love right. being out there with them you know or you know it's 2am and you know they're coon hunting or hog hunting or whatever right. they're doing and thinking I figured you'd be in bed you know right. that's what I enjoy just right. being out there with everybody the uh, explain to people there's there's a a stereotypical thought uh you know people say that game wardens and i don't know if you've heard this or not i'm, I'm sure cooney has that game wardens have more rights than a police officer on coming onto your property can you explain the whole scenario of how you can enter somebody's property mm. and and just go from from point a to however far from point A all the way to you're arresting them, you're citing them, or you're giving them a warning. Okay. Have you heard? Have you heard that? Yeah, I get it all the time. Right. And um, so basically, you know, as a game warden, you're a conservation officer, so you're there to protect the wildlife and the land and all the natural resources in the state. So, but wildlife isn't confined to one piece of property where you know you may suspect that somebody's dealing drugs out of their house well that person lives at that house and those drugs are in that house but if i think you know somebody's hunting on a deer illegally 
and I can say, you know, this person's a hunter because I look in the bed of their truck and I, they have scent spray and they got orange vests and they got all these things. Well, I know that that person's out there either legally or illegally trying to harvest wildlife. So based on that, they give us the right to walk on any sort of property to basically check and make sure this person is legally trying to harvest this animal because we're there protecting the animal. I have right. nothing to do with the person's property or the hunter themselves. I'm just there to basically protect the resource. And you know how long it takes to get a search warrant. Right. It's not the fastest process in the world, not to mention you got to have one person stay there mm -hmm. and make. So if I rolled up on a truck and it's a hunter and you know, I said, I think this person's hunting. We Now we got to go get a search warrant so I can walk out there and go check them. Well, I got to call somebody else, and he might be a county away. And I, he's got to come and sit on that truck, make sure that truck don't leave. While I go see a judge, write up a search warrant, get a search warrant, go back out there and check that person. That's just not practical. I'd never, I'd never get a job done. So because we're tech protecting the resource and it has nothing to do with the property and just the practicality and reasonableness of the amount of time it would take to get a search warrant just to check a hunting license, they let us walk on private property. So let's say I walk out there and I find this person, that he, may, he may own the property, he may have permission from the landowner to be on the property, he may have no permission and just walked out there on his own. You know, that's all stuff that basically you, you got to use your mouth you know you gotta you gotta talk to these people you know what's going on what's this situation you know are they lying to me or are they telling me the truth whatever um licenses and everything like that and then basically most of my interactions either end with just a license check or a citation or a warning you know i write probably i probably write seven to eight warnings for every ticket you know but you know, after that, you know, rarely is it that I would take somebody to jail for, you know, a hunting or fishing violation. Right, right. You understand that, Cooney? Yeah. H had you heard that before? The the gang has got more authority yeah, I've than heard the police. Say that a lot. Yeah, but I didn't believe it. But that's basically all the reasoning is, and that doesn't mean you know I can't I can't walk into your house, or I can't walk into your car, you know, any anything like that. You know, if I got to search a car, I got to have the same. You know reasonable suspicion you know smelling weed or seeing dope there or whatever it is you got to have that probable cause such search that vehicle or search that house or whatever but right you know just being outdoors as long as it's outside the curtilage of a home right you know i'm able to go walk on the property right you get that yeah Cooney, you ain't asking no questions. He's answering all the questions I had prepared. <laughs> so every question I'm asking is something you already had. Pretty much. Do you want to know if somebody can have a squirrel? I feel like you're going to ask a weird question. Yeah, I do. I do want to know that if you know, if you can answer it. <laughs> what? Am I allowed to have a pet raccoon? No. See, I no. told you. Why? <laughs> Why? See, the thing I run into most time is I have had people. You know have just a pet raccoon but i've also had a lot of people pick up you know animals and with good intentions of saying you know the mama got killed or ran over by a car you know i'm going to rehabilitate this animal and i'm going to keep it at my house and i'm going to raise it and like i said they have the best intention but we have rehabilitators who are permitted through the state that that's their you know 
we, we've already qualified them to say right. they have they have a a good uh, you know place to house this animal. They have the, all the means to nourish the animal, and they have the training and experience to do all this. So even though people have good intentions, you know we can't trust that just every Joe Blow is gonna you know be able to raise a raccoon and rehabilitate right. it back into the wild because that that's the uh, that's the end goal of keeping animals at at a house for whatever reason is to rehabilitate them back into the wild right. you know, they're wildlife they're not house pets right so just what i have seen probably a 50 or 60 pound raccoon in somebody's house they had had it for two or three years really and, oh yeah you you thought i was taking their pet dog i mean really? she was she was in tears and that i didn't write her a ticket didn't i wrote her a warning and and we took the raccoon but um you know yeah that was not a fun day at work what what happens to all right so that that coon she'd had for so long what happens to something like that unfortunately because you've basically trained a house animal that right. that raccoon can't go fend for itself it can't find it can't forage for food and so a lot of times if they can't if we can't find somewhere to go like a zoo or anything like that they got to be dispatched or euthanized right because one and and i know that's unfortunate but we can't allow you to keep the raccoon because that's against the law you know the law enforcement officer can't allow you to break the law knowingly and if we have nowhere else for it to go and it can't go back into the wild you know it's got to be euthanized right but the the thing that people got to remember is that sounds like it's on me or it sounds like it's cruel but that's the individual's responsibility when they picked up that raccoon and started feeding it for two or three years you know they that's their responsibility to know that's against the law right so So what what is your what is your typical day what what has your typical day been like on average this four years Mm. there's no typical day Right, (laughs) right that is the typical day is that it's always something different and I enjoy that part about it because um, basically it starts, you know, leaving the driveway, and, and you got to have a lot of self motivation and say, "What am I trying to find today?" And I think of it all, and I almost every game warden I know does the night before you go to bed, you got to know what time to set your alarm because you got to know what you're trying to find the next day and where you're trying to go. How long is it going to take me to get? I'm trying to check trout fishermen in the morning. How long is it going to take me to get to Johns Creek? I got to set my alarm for this time. So <clears throat> it's it's just really whatever you want to do, but basically what they tell us is you go where the activity's at. So right. if, you know, if it's summertime, you know, I know trout fishermen are going to fish early in the morning before it gets hot. So that's when I need to be out checking right. trout fishermen. Right. And if it's, you know, hunting season, I need to be up when the hunters are in the woods. So I need to be up early in the morning take a break during the middle of the day get back out in the afternoon right so so, so the, is there like a, a, a hunting season or fishing season where you're most busy in i would say i would say maybe dove season or duck season on the opening weekends but then that dies off really quick but i would say overall it'd probably be deer season or turkey season the turkey season dies off too a lot right. of people don't hunt through may yeah yeah but overall the consistency i'd say deer season for sure but man opening weekend of the few first few weekends of duck season or dove season they're pretty wide open so y'all get you know a lot of people don't don't think about this and i don't know if you you did any of it 
but y'all get dispatched. Y'all are a state agency. If there are tornadoes, hurricane, any type of you know uh, disasters, y'all get dispatched to help with that. Have you done any of that? When yeah, we um, the most recent one. I think I got a, the call at one or two in the morning, and um, that tornado that came through Noonan. Mm-hmm. We we went down there and we were mobilized by 4 a.m. You know, it just um, you know our wildlife resource division has chainsaws. We use chainsaws to cut trees. We have ATVs, so we can get a lot of other places that trucks can't. Um, but yeah, I haven't been on any hurricane details yet. The one time there was one, I just happened to be off work and on vacation. But yeah, we go to um, floods hurricanes tornadoes stuff like that and that's where you know you really see like man i'm having an impact at my job you know it's very fulfilling very rewarding people are thankful that you're there which you know is a a good change for every day because most time people don't want to see you every day at work so that i it's even though it's an unfortunate event i enjoy that part of the job because i get to help right so what about Y'all also get dispatched to other events. Did you go to the riots mm-hmm. in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, go ahead. For, for me, when I was policing, I had an well, I was going to say an opportunity, but I don't want it to make it seem like it was a good thing to be involved with. Let me just say this: the first time being involved with something like that, I wasn't overwhelmed. But for lack of better words, I was like, "Whoa, cuz mm-hmm. th- this is crazy." Mm-hmm. What? Give, I mean, here's Garrett, first time dealing with something like this. What was running through your mind? I just remember watching it on TV at first, thinking, "I'm about to have to go," you know, to Atlanta. You know, I, at the time, you know, the George Floyd protests were happening, and I just remember watching it on TV and my wife and I sitting in the living room, and I told her, I said, I'm just, I said, I'm going to get my uniform ready because I'm just waiting on the phone call. And that anticipation was some of the worst part of it, just that uneasiness, you know, whether whichever side you're on, it just, it doesn't matter at that point because right. your people don't care you know when you're out there whose side you're on right you know, it's just and so we went out there to atlanta and we were there for several weekends at a time basically i, I don't know how many weekends i was actually there but it was you know that the city had basically lost control of of the whole place so you know you would see areas of the city that were under control but then uh, you know, a few, few blocks away, it'd just be complete chaos. And, you know, we were on ATVs because that's that's what they utilized us for. So, you know, you can use your patrol vehicle for a lot of protection. Right. You know, on that ATV, we were susceptible for sure. And I know that first night, I didn't go the very first night of the riots, but there was a lot of grown men that came home the next day saying that was the most scared they had ever been. Right. You know, they had been shots you know gunshots in their general direction there had been rocks and bricks thrown at them damaged uh patrol vehicles put dents and doors all that kind of thing and um you know just 
senseless senseless violence the the worst part about it being a law enforcement officer is you can't predict any of it it's it's completely unpredictable you have no idea who it's going to come from or where it's going to come from or why they're targeting you or whatever it is so when they say you're head has to be on a swivel i mean it's never been more true than right. in a situation like that right you uh when you got that call to go had, had had you had thought about that i'm sure that they talked about that in the academy but when you had decided to do this job was that ever anything that had crossed your mind absolutely not right absolutely not i, n- I never and it's not like if somebody had asked me, I'd probably said, yeah, I could see where we would assist there. But it's just not something that you predict ever happening. Right. And, you know, I signed up to check hunters and check fishermen and, and that kind of thing and pull over a car every now and then or whatever. But I just, you know, this was something totally different. You know, something that I had zero experience in, something that, you know, just uh, I was really not ready for, right. to be honest. Had you ever thought about game wardens doing that, Cooney? I didn't. I didn't know game wardens got called to do stuff like that. They get dispatched to go wherever the state tells them to on on anything. And man, I never thought about y'all being out there on four wheelers. So that that was it was good and bad. If we were sitting still, it was really bad. But if we were moving, you know, a convoy of twenty ATVs. You know, it's it's pretty intimidating right. coming through downtown Atlanta. So I, you know, we rode those four wheelers all over the interstate, all over every street in downtown Atlanta. And when you roll through there twenty deep, you know, people get out of the way. Right. But you start sitting still somewhere, and a crowd gathers around you, and they're at your twelve, and they're at your six, and you right. know, <laughs> everything else. You know that that's when it starts getting uneasy. Right. Did you think about being out on a four wheeler? In that mess, not, not with all them people surrounding me. No, that's wild, ain't it? Mm-hmm. What uh, has there been any other thing that you got dispatched to that you just didn't see coming? Mm. Not really that I can think of. I right. mean, most of the time, I, you know, everything from you know somebody's lost in the woods to. We think this person's on the WMA and may have committed suicide to um, like natural disasters. Right. Uh, we do long line rescues, all these kind of things. But, yeah, there were, all of them I was kind of prepared for. I knew that the agency kind of had its hand in all these different things. But, yeah, the protests and stuff like that, I just didn't ever fathom we'd be helping out with that. and. You know, I know why we do, and, you know, I agree with the fact that we're down there. It's just something I hadn't thought of right. before. So what what would you say is your favorite case to work and it, by species or anything? What What is your favorite case to work? I like chicken duck hunters. Right. Um, over in Carroll, it's not a ton of duck hunting, but it's more than the surrounding counties. Right. So there's normally always activity. I like getting up early. I like being out before daylight. And I love hearing some gunshots and just trying to figure out where they're coming from. Right. And, um, you know, I love, you know, being right there at the blind. You know, duck hunters are loud, you know, that you because know, if ducks aren't flying, they're sitting in the blind talking. Right. You know, so they're a lot easier to sneak up on. And 
I just enjoy that, you know, I've, I've been right behind somebody and been like, you know, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just that that look is just priceless, you know, right. and it's all in good fun. They, they We all get to joke about it afterwards, but um, right. that's just part of the job that everybody kind of thinks of, and it really is, you know, that fun. It's kind of like that cat and mouse game. Right. The um, So when you're out there, what, what do you see as the number one safety issue because you was talking about doing rescues and and anything like that what is something that you feel the masses are overlooking is it tree stand safety is it gun safety that that's another thing everybody he deals with has pretty much got a gun yeah pretty much got a gun and i could or imagine, at least got a knife or a weapon of some type on them i could imagine being on a dove field with a however many people let's say there's 20 people on this dove field and you pull up and you want to check somebody's gun how many people hang you the gun with the barrel pointed towards you or with the gun loaded and the safety off i mean every other one right i mean probably every other person um not to mention dove season half the people hunting out there are drunk you know especially by the afternoon right so yeah, I'd say that's the most uneasy as far as gun safety. Definitely dove season. I would say as far as something the general public typically look over, I would say it's the cell phone. I mean, they're so invaluable today. That right up there with tree stand safety. You right. Know, actually, everybody will say it, but going out there and checking your stands that have been on your property for 10 years, making sure the straps are good and everything else because we always have tree stand accidents. But another thing that people, I I mean, don't really think of much importance is use your phone, you know, who, which loved one knows when you're leaving, when you're supposed to come home, and where you're going to be, exactly where you're going to be. Because if something happens to you, those are all three critical things that could save your life right not to mention having a fully charged battery when you go out in the woods because you may not have the best service but you may be able to use that phone in some form or fashion to help you save your life you know whether it's communicating or using a map or whatever it is so i would say keeping the cell phone charged letting somebody know where you're going to be when you're supposed to be back and you know where you're going to be at and when you're leaving all that kind of thing and um yeah, checking the tree stands. Yeah. So wearing a safety harness all the time. Right. Whether you you know you're in a climber or whether you're in a fixed stand, uh, we just see too many people fall every single year. Really. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not trying to be gruesome, but well, I mean, in your head, the the fatality. So most of the time, it's. I mean, people typically don't die, but right. we'll have, I've seen a lot of, you know broken legs two broken legs two broken ankles broken back broken hip stuff that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life i right. mean this just not surgeries that are just going to come and go or whatever right um we have seen some fatalities but typically people people you know survive it but the accident will stick with them for the rest of their life they'll right. be in pain for the rest of their life or have a prosthetic hip or you know whatever it may be right but um and then the another thing on the gun safety you know just uh you know another thing bird hunters or rabbit hunters we had a rabbit hunter um in some thick brush and briars and 
uh, wasn't wearing some really bright orange, you know, because they don't have to. And uh, his buddy shot him right in the face with some 410 uh, shot, and um, and he luckily he had some Ray-Ban shockproof glasses, mm-hmm. and one of the pellets got lodged right there in his lens of his glasses, and wow. basically saved his eyeball. You know, it wasn't close enough to him that it'd kill him, but right. you know, we had to pick PBs out of his forehead and take him to the hospital and do all that. Right. Yeah, that's that's one thing. When we go hunting, if we go separate, we pretty much tell each other yeah. where we're going, and we pretty much know when we're going to be back. But as Garrett was explaining that, we've got our own little names for specific areas. Mm. Yeah. We're going down here. Names and stuff like where that. Where I'm going over here to hunt holler bird, or I'm going over here to hunt this buck, or I'm going over here where Shorty's stand is, and it really needs to be area specific because <clears throat> if something happened to Cooney and I wasn't able to get there, and they had somebody a lot closer, Garrett's not going to know where we killed the big hog at. Right. You know, on Johnny Monk. Johnny Monk Road is what two miles long mm-hmm. you, you see what i'm saying so yeah. it really needs to be area specific from now on with us because I, I you know i just got to thinking about that we tell each other where we're going but if cooney can't come out there to look for me he can't tell nobody that's else right. where to go that's right go over there where daddy killed that <clears throat> turkey or where we called up that turkey the other day yeah they ain't gonna know where that's at cooney yeah, but usually, usually when we have little nicknames for those spots it's a pretty easily explainable spot to go to anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it might be go down Johnny Monk and the first road cut off to the left, right. but we just call it the spot right there yeah, when we kill that right. thing. You're right. And a lot of people don't want to tell where they're, tell other buddies where their hunting spots are. So right. that's why I say just use your wife. Your wife's not going to tell nobody or she don't care or whatever. Send your location with your wife, you know, yeah. because if something happens, she ain't heard from you. She's, you know, or your husband, women who hunt, you know, they're they're going to come looking for you. Right. If you have that location shared or, hey, I'm dropping a pin right here. This is where I'm going to be at. Right. They're only concerned about saving your life. They're not concerned about telling everybody and the brother where you're hunting at. Right. What is, uh, now I ask you what, what the case is you like to work. What don't you like to work? Fishing season gets pretty boring. Does it? Um which is good in a way because after you know fall hunting season and then spring turkey season you kind of need a little bit of a laid back season um but uh yeah sometimes it just gets harder and harder to find people when it gets you know hot in july and august everybody just wants to go swim you know there's not that many people out and uh so that's when you're just kind of on the park pretty much or whatever but you know the the guys at the lakes you know lake altoona lake lanier lake blackshear they don't get a break you know because as soon as turkey season's over you know they're on the lake and you know it's hot out there and right. bulletproof vest and they're year round so i'm at least fortunate to give a, get a little bit of a break every now and then but typically uh during the summer for me that's when we'll knock out a lot of our training and stuff right. like that i uh i'll tell you a lake they don't play on the gang wardens and that is lake seminole oh yeah i went with a buddy of mine he got an alligator tag and really we hadn't even thought about it Mm -hmm. Uh, but we went out and it was 
see alligator season when it opens on the day that it opens it starts at 12 midnight mm -hmm. right right so we had got to the lake about 10 30 and we said well we we hadn't never been down there so we're going to go out here and shine see if we can find some alligators so we get out there and shining and uh like a bunch of idiots we turn all our lights off we're in the channel i'd never been to lake seminole and uh, we found some alligators on the bank and so we was talking how we was going to try to get to them and this and that luckily we didn't even think about it we had left all the equipment in the truck but we was going to get it not to hunt before time but right. so when 12 hit bam we could have done it well we was sitting in that channel and there was a little bitty island off to the side and it was like 11:55. all of a sudden we hear this and this these blue lights come on and all these lights come on and this airboat just comes barreling at us and there's this guy I called him Superman the whole weekend. This one game warden was standing on the front of that airboat with his hands on his hips and they come they was making sure we didn't have our equipment and was out there already alligator hunting, but they uh they'd been watching us for an hour and a half. We had no idea. They was watching us with night vision. And uh we got checked five times that weekend. They do not play with them alligators, mm -hmm. son. That is serious business down there on Lake Seminole. They like that on all the alligators everywhere. Well, I think it's I think it's more so down there because that's probably the most popular spot. Like yeah. everywhere in Georgia, if you're gonna go alligator hunting, that's typically where you're gonna go. Right. And that's their bread and butter down there. Right. So yeah, I, th I think I think they're a little more tough just in that work section because they take a lot of pride in in that in that lake. Right. Well. Huh. But that's not to mention, too, I mean, a lot of people think, you know, that's we're out to write tickets. Right, right. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Right. I mean, I don't know a game warden that just loves writing tickets. I know game wardens that love finding people, checking people, and addressing violations. But, you know, common sense comes in, and it's really easy to tell people from, like you guys, from people who are, we're trying not to see me all right. night. You know, right. when I when I come up to you guys and you're out in the woods, and you're just you know cooperative, you may not even be necessarily glad to see me, but you know you're you're there and you're doing what you're supposed to do. Even if you make a little mistake, that common sense comes in, and it's very easy to tell an honest person who makes a mistake from somebody who is lying to your face or you know is trying to skirt you know the game warden. Right. All season or whatever. Right. Well, not to so much put you on the spot, but four years in, are you glad you made the choice? And I know a lot of your buddies, this game wardens, will probably be listening to you. And every, are you glad you made the choice to be a game warden? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And even, even if I didn't stay here for an entire career, which I plan on, um, the experience that you can gain doing something like this is invaluable and not to mention i told my wife uh when i graduated college my now wife when i had this job opportunity i told her i said you know i i'm a little unsure it's a little intimidating i don't know if i'll you know like it it's a long time to be away from home all this stuff and i just told her i said you know what i 
I know one thing's for sure. I'm going to do this while I'm young. I don't have any kids. And I can say, you know, at the end of my retirement that whether it was for five years, 10 years or 30 years, you know, I, I was a game warden and I got a lot of experience and had a ton of fun doing it. I mean, this job really is just a lot of fun. Right. You know, it's as fun as you make it. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. That's awesome, dude. That's what do you think about being a game warden, Cooney? I don't think I would be a game warden. I don't think you could do the push ups. You don't think I could? You missed your workout two nights in a row. Well, I don't mean I can't do the push up. How many push ups you gotta be able to do? Ah, uh, we'll we'll work through that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do as you, long as you don't quit, you'll be all right. That's now now let me ask you that. That's something I didn't ask you. I know the troopers, they have a good number of people that fall out of that mm-hmm. training early on. Did y'all have any fallout? I think we might have had one or two, but I will say at the time when I got hired, we were so shorthanded that I know the command staff was encouraging um, our academy, you know, instructors to try to keep everybody, you know, go as hard on them. Don't, don't, you know, give them anything. But at the same time, they were trying to retain as many people out of our because out of our academy class because I got hired with 32 people, mm-hmm. which is a big class comparatively. Because this last one that went through, I think, was eight people, and then the one before me was 11. Right. So when you're looking at those numbers, they you know you're exactly right. I mean, if if you drop, you drop. You know, because you know that you don't want somebody like that right. who's going to right. quit on you anyways. Um, yeah, and they definitely didn't give us anything, but I would say they, at the end of the day, they tried to retain, retain people. If they came to them and said, you know, look, I, I'm out of this, I can't do it anymore, you know, they wouldn't accommodate them, but they try to talk them into going back the next morning for sure, rather than saying, okay, give us your boots and we'll see you later. Right. Now, you know how the uh, governor's office of highway safety and GSP, I mean, it's just about zero tolerance on DUIs. Oh, yeah. Is there anything y'all have zero tolerance on? Probably the same, yeah, DUIs. That, that's the big one. Um, other than that, I mean, it's kind of case by case, and I can't think of anybody who's really gotten into some serious trouble. Right. You know, and I will say, uh, as far as trouble and stuff, you know, when when you get hired, you got to take that polygraph, mm-hmm. and you had to take one, I'm sure, and you, right. you write on that piece of paper every single thing that you've ever done, and right. that way, when they ask you about it, you know, or they're going to ask you, are you being truthful about this, or did you leave anything off this sheet of paper? So, you're talking about a bunch. I mean, people who apply with us are not just everyday people. It's a bunch of rednecks or wildlife, right. uh, you know, degree people or whatever. Everybody's grew up hunting and fishing, so you know, there's a lot of stuff that you know. Even game wardens have made mistakes. Right. And I tell everybody, you know, we. It's not like every game warden went out night hunting all the time because, you know, people know other people and they've know that they've done this before and known that before. But I will say, you know, we made mistakes just like everybody else. And also, I think that experience um, plays over into um, what you do at your job. Because I think a lot of it, uh, too, it helps. you got to know how a poacher thinks to be able to catch a poacher. Right. not saying you had to be one, but you got to kind of know somebody who 
you know, did something stupid when they were younger or, you know, known some people that do something stupid or something like that to know kind of how somebody like that thinks. If you come in totally green and you have no idea, you know, how people skirt the game and fish laws, you're not going to catch anybody. Right. And that's not to say, like I said, that game wardens are, you know, violators turn law enforcement. Just like a regular police officer's probably sped before or driven without a seatbelt or whatever. Those minor infractions just, uh, you know, I think it helps with your job if you've had that. And like I said, it's just being honest with it on that polygraph and just saying, you know, yeah, I did this before. I screwed up, you know, and just learning from it and going forward. Yeah, well, I'll definitely say that my experience of drinking alcohol Mm-hmm. helped me be able to tell when somebody was drunk. That's right. And that's one reason, you know, I was able to get so many DUIs is when I walk, I could smell alcohol, you know, in the wintertime, you know how how the alcohol smell carries more if somebody was in front of me and had their window cracked. I could, I could smell the alcohol. Well, you're your best witness in court, you know, and they, right. when they ask you, you said in your report, and you say, I smelled odor of an alcoholic beverage, and they're going to say, well, how did you know what alcoholic beverage tasted? Well, I've had, you know, I've had plenty of them before. A, a I pile exactly, of them. Yeah. I know exactly how, how it yeah. smells. So. Raccoonie, you asked one question. That's all I had to ask. <laughs> that's all you had to that's ask that's all I had to ask now correct me if I'm wrong I think when I stopped you guys um, on Baldwin Forest on what was it Blue Car Body Road yeah yeah. Uh, y'all didn't have a dog that night yeah we you did. did yeah did? okay I well, just remember Cooney you were in the truck bed weren't you I wasn't there no that was, there? That was no, his, my brother that was, was his brother Buck okay yeah, yeah. I remember a young young yeah. kid in the we, we actually after we left you we turned loose, and the dog went 2.7 miles oh, to the very back corner of the Paulden Forest where it met some private property, almost mm-hmm. to Taylorsville, yeah. and treated coon. It took us about, by the time walking and everything was said and done, about two and a half hours wow. to get her. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we had a dog in, in that white truck we was in. Yeah. yeah. Right now. No more questions, Cooney. That was pitiful. Uh, he answered all the questions I I would have had. The the one. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even I didn't even have that question thought of. Garrett, if you was gonna rate Cooney on a scale of one to five on being attentive and involved in this conversation conversation, what would your rating be? I would say uh, a three. Uh, room for improvement. Satisfactory with room for improvement. Okay. I'm I'm fine with that. Are you fine with that? I'm completely fine with that. Well, Garrett, we pray that the Lord watches over you while you're out there doing your job. You just got married, did you? Did you not last year? Yeah, last year. Congratulations on that. Yeah, and I just want to say real quick too, because I know we hadn't really touched on it much, but um, you know, I get thanked, you know, for what I do all the time, and I just want to say the work that you guys are doing here. Um, is way more important than anything anybody else could do in any sort of public safety. I think the work that you're doing for, you know, the kingdom and the church is here and the church is now and and you guys out evangelizing however that you can, you know, and, and showing Christ to people, you know, through something like this, 
you know that might seem out of some people's elements or uncomfortable to start i just want to say you know you guys are doing awesome work um and my wife and i'll be praying for you guys and hope that this just becomes super successful for y'all man i appreciate that i really do i really do and we we pray that the lord watches over you in your life in your job blesses your marriage and everything's prosperous and good just full of blessings oh yeah appreciate it you got anything coney no, I don't. <laughs> you got anything else, Garrett? No, thank you, guys. All right, man, we thank you. We'll holler at you. Deuces.